Uh, welcome to week five of our series, The King and His Kingdom, an in-depth study of the Gospel of, of Matthew. And today we're going to unpack Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If you have a Bible, turn there, your Bible app, you may want to turn there. And a conversation that I'm calling, Repent, Change Your Allegiance. Someone say allegiance. allegiance. Now today is also, it's also Baptism Sunday. The water's warm. Uh, we have towels. We have extra shorts and t-shirts at the ready. I actually brought a laundry basket in here just in case someone did not come prepared. And uh, I, I want to show you a, a short video about baptism, and then we will uh, uh, pray into our study. Hey Amen. I like that video, a lot of scripture, right? And our, our belief about baptism is based on the authority of scripture, not on uh, my opinion or anyone else's opinion. Amen. Hey, Jesus said in John 15, 10, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And one of the commands that Jesus has given those who desire to follow him is the command to be baptized. All right, let's pray into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, to be in your house. It's not our house, it's your house. You're holy. We're holy only in you. We're finite, you're infinite. And God, we take great joy in knowing that you're the maker of heaven and earth, that there's not a mountain you have not, cannot move, not a sea you cannot part, not a wall you cannot tear down. And Father, we believe in your word, and I pray your word will fall on us today like rain and snow falling down from the sky, and that it will accomplish everything that you desire. I pray for open ears, open eyes, open hearts, as we reflect on your scripture. I pray for those in this room maybe have not yet made that decision to surrender to you, and baptism, that your spirit will convict them, and they'll see the need to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Before we dive into those verses, a few things to keep in mind. One thing, there is a 28-year time jump between the last verse in Matthew chapter 2 and the first verse in Matthew chapter 1. And though we would like to know, I sure would, about Jesus' childhood, his teen years, and young adult life, we only have one example in Jesus' childhood after his birth and his time in Nazareth is when he was 12 years old. Maybe you remember the story. Jesus, with his mom and dad, traveled the 70 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And after the Passover, they head home with a large group of family and friends, heading back home. Along the way, Mary looks at Joseph. Joseph looks at Mary. Hey, have you seen Jesus? No, have you seen Jesus? Where's Jesus? I mean, and they hurry back, and three days later, wow. Imagine, they find Jesus. Where is he? He's at the temple. He's sitting with the teachers and listening and asking questions. And Luke writes this in Luke 2, beginning at verse 47. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents, who, by the way, were not at all amazed, <laughs> Saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? You and your father have been anxiously searching for you, and it's all his fault. <laughs> why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and with man. By the way, as this year began, we talked, about, we talked about setting growth goals intellectually, physically, relationally, and spiritually. Have you set any of those goals yet? 
The first step is to pray about what goals you should set. The second step is to write them down, right? The third step, which I haven't done yet, right, is share them with somebody. Why? So they can do what? They can encourage you and hold you accountable, right? So if you haven't set any intellectual goals for this year, read more books, whatever, you know, learn a new language, any physical goals, eat right, lose weight, whatever, relational goals, spiritual goals, set them, write them down, and share them with somebody so they can make sure you do that. So that this time next year, you have grown intellectually, physically, relationally, spiritually. Amen? And I need to share with somebody. Then after Luke 2.52, there's 18 years of silence. Another thing to keep in mind as Matthew chapter 3 opens up is that when it opens up, there have been 400 years of silence from God. Understand, from the final chapter of the book of Malachi, since that time, God has not spoken one single word through his prophets. Like zip, zero, nada. And here are those final words. In Malachi, or as us Italians like to say, Malachi. <laughs> Malachi. Uh, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children, the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And then 400 years of silence. That's like back to 1622. And the third thing to keep in mind is that what is happening in Matthew chapter 3 is a huge deal. Like 400 years of silence has ended. The heavens are going to open up and God's going to speak with an audible voice. He only does that three times in the New Testament. At his baptism, at the transfiguration, and then in John chapter 12, after Jesus has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and he's telling his guys that he's going to die, we read in John chapter 12, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. How cool that when Jesus is struggling, thinking about what's coming, God speaks to them, saying, I'm still here, you're still on the right path, you've glorified me, and you will continue to glorify me. Another unique thing happens in Matthew 3 is that the Holy Spirit shows up in a physical form. Only three times in Scripture, creation, the day of Pentecost, and right here. We also see the entire Trinity show up together like they did at creation, right? We got God the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending, and the Son being baptized. And, and listen, though each gospel begins differently, right? Like, Matthew starts with, a gene, with the genealogy. Luke starts with the birth of Jesus. John starts with, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Isaiah, I mean, Mark starts with a prophecy from Isaiah. They all converge right here. They all converge at John's baptism. Because John's baptism of Jesus marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Like I said, huge deal, right? And the way I've broken down our study today is by looking at three phrases that show up in our text. In those days, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near and let it be so now. All right, let's do this. Before I do, do you believe that God has a word for you this morning? Do you? 
I got, I, I guarantee, I guarantee you, <laughs> you know, uh, that if you believe that God has a word for you and your heart is open, he has a word for you. Amen. You cannot come into the presence of the king of glory and his living and active word without hearing a truth from him. And if you're ready, you'll hear it. In those days, someone say in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And now Matthew goes into, I mean, Luke goes into more detail. He's an historian. And he tells us that in those days that Tiberius Caesar's in the 15th year of his reign. So it's 28 AD approximately. He, he tells us that Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea, been on a job for about, uh, for about two years. He tells us, that, tells us that a couple of haired sons are reigning over various parts of Judea. And that Ananias and Caiaphas are the high priests. Well, actually, Caiaphas is the high priest. Ananias is his father-in-law. He'd been the high priest and still had a lot of power. In fact, when Jesus was arrested, who did they take him to first? They took him to Ananias, who then sent him to Caiaphas. All right? So in those days when the nation was occupied by Rome and ruled politically and religiously by corrupt Roman appointees, in those days when slavery was cruel and everywhere, in those days when marriage was devalued, in those days when immorality and lust were rampant, in those days when might made right, in those days when justice had disappeared, in those days when those in power murdered thousands to amuse and pacify the crowds, in those days when countless people had lost hope in government, in religion, in philosophy, and in life. Sound familiar? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, what do we know about John the Baptist? Like, who are his mom and dad? Zechariah and Elizabeth. What kind of work did his dad do? He was a, he was a priest. So, so John the Baptist was a PK. Who was Elizabeth related to? You're allowed to talk in church. Mary, if you're Answering my questions. All the way, shut up. No kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, darling. Now, 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 what was special about his birth? Well, his mom and dad were well along in years, right? Hadn't had any children yet. And, and, and Zachariah was informed by an angel of this miracle pregnancy. And after John was born, Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. He talked about Jesus and he talked about his son, I picture him holding his son in his arms, and he said this in Luke chapter 1, 76 through 79. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet, into the path of peace. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And here's the deal. When it comes to repentance, most of us have an incomplete understanding of what this repentance that we're all called to is about. Like, to most of us, to repent simply means to confess, to feel sorry for, to weep over some sin that we've committed. Now, the word for repent in the New Testament is metaneo. Say metaneo. metaneo. And you, 
And so I'm not the only one to pronounce it wrong today, okay? It, it means to change your mind. And listen to the Greek, to change your mind is to change your will. It's a change in volition. Now there's another Greek word for a change of your emotions. It's the Greek word metamelani, metamelami. Who'd your baba do, right? <laughs> okay? It, metamelami. Metamelami, metamelami. Metamusel, no, that's different. That's different, okay? It, a change of emotion, right? And you know who in Scripture metamelamide? <laughs> Matthew 26.3. When Judas, who betrayed Jesus, saw that he was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Metamelamide. And returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. In other words, he felt bad. He felt sorry for how things turned out. But listen, his methamelami made no difference in how he lived out his life. Thus, it made no difference in his eternal damnation. In Maple Grove, neither will our methamelami make any difference in our eternal destiny unless our methamelami, unless our feelings, unless our being sorry about our sins leads to, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, leads to repentance. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with weeping over your sins. I've done that many times. Like, we should weep over our sins. Amen? But unless our sorrow, but, but listen, if our sorrow stops, if our sorrow stops at weeping and does not result in a change of will and volition, we have not repented. Bottom line, if our commitment does not change, if our will and our actions do not change, it is not biblical repentance. Are you tracking with me? Now, there's a story from history that really illustrates this concept of biblical repentance. In the mid-first mid century, there was a, a guy named Josephus. Um, he was a historian. We learned much about what life was like in the first century from him. He was an historian. He was also a military general. And he fought against Rome in a war that began in 66 AD. It started up in Galilee. He surrendered and got captured like that. And he said to the Romans, hey, I'm an influential guy, and he was. I can get the Jews to surrender and come over to your side. So they take him outside the walls of Jerusalem. He, he looks up to them and says, I, I've seen the power of the Roman military and you're going to die. So you need to surrender. And they said, hey, the only reason you care is because your family's in here and you don't want them to die. And he says, hey, you're right. I don't want them to die. But even if you toss them over the side of the wall, I would tell you the exact same thing. And then he said to them, repent and believe in me. You see, for Josephus, repentance was not about feeling sorry for some sin, but rather it was that his countrymen on the wrong side of a lethal battle with the Roman Empire. And if they do not change sides, if they do not change their allegiance, if they do not lay down their arms, walk out the gate, and stand on the side of Rome, they're going to die. In other words, defect or be destroyed. And brothers and sisters, that is the very thing that we not only need to tell other people, but acknowledge ourselves. 
that, that we must defect, that we must change our allegiance, that we must bend our knees and our wills before Christ or be destroyed by him. Get it? Good. I understand what I'm saying is that repentance is not simply a call to stop some sin, like losing your temper, lying, looking at pornography, refusing to forgive. Instead, it's a call to defection. It's a call to abdicate from the world. It's a call to change your allegiance and fight on the side of Jesus. You see, the first half of repentance is about defection. The second half is about obedience. It's about loyalty to your new commander-in-chief. You see, the thing that must motivate us to live out our lives differently is not simply wanting to avoid some unwanted consequences from a simple behavior, but rather a radical loyalty to our king. You see, the reason we don't lie, the reason we don't cheat, the reason we don't misuse our tongue, the reason we're not sexually immoral, and the reason that we love one another, reach out to one another, give our offerings, serve, share our faith, is not to avoid the negative consequences of those sinful behaviors or to experience the positive consequences that doing things God's way brings to our life. And so the reason that we don't and the reason that we do is because we're loyal to our King Jesus. It's this metaneo, this change of mind, this change of will where we both say and live out, my King Jesus laid down his life for me in a brutal way on a rugged cross and I will not do anything that dishonors his name. I'm loyal to him. I've repented. I've changed my allegiance. Again, it's not about do and it's not about don't. It's about loyalty. Someone say loyalty. It's about loyalty to Christ our King. That's why we do, and that's why we don't. Loyalty. It's not to avoid bad things from happening because we do stupid, simple things, or to get positive benefits. I do this, and I don't do this because I'm loyal to Jesus, period. Amen? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And basically, the kingdom of heaven is... The coming rule of God in the, the coming rule of God in the hearts of people because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and the phrase has come near is just one word in Greek, in gizo, it's in the perfect tense, in gizo. And, and one of my commentaries said this about the perfect tense here. It says, and it and Gizzo introduces a state of affairs which is already beginning, which demands immediate actions. John's summons is urgent. The time for decision has already come. The kingdom has come near. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now, the imagery here is of a messenger running into a city and saying, hey, the king's going to come. You need to send out your work crews. They need to fill the potholes, right? They need to clear away the rocks so that the way is clear and ready for the king to come into the city. 
And that's what John did for Jesus. He prepared the way through his preaching. Which would begin to prepare the people to turn their hearts and minds to Jesus. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. This week I did some extensive research and I actually unearthed John the Baptist's Instagram and that's his photo there, right? You know, and and he, he likes to take foodie pictures too. Like here's a selfie of him eating some of those locusts. Man, they're so good. Give me some more locusts, right? There he is, right? So that's how you picture him. People went out from him for Jerusalem and all Judea. And the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, John in his gospel tells us that this all happened at Bethany, the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And here's, here's a map. I know it's really hard for you to see. Like, you, you got Sea of Galilee up here, you got the Dead Sea here, and the Dead Sea is dead because it just takes stuff and nothing flows out, right? And, and sometimes you were dead, right? If all we're doing is taking stuff in, right? You know, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Okay. Not, I'm taking a drink of water. I almost said it, and I'm not. I'm just not. No. I want to so bad. Anyhow. If you ever taken a lot in, and nothing came out, that's a problem, Right? And you can put the word in yourself, right? And that's the Dead Sea. It's a problem, right? Stuff comes in, nothing goes out. That's not comfortable, right? And so, <laughs> I didn't say it. I said no word. I said no word. My wife is going to kill me when I get home, all right? And, and, and so, so, right at Dead Sea, right here at Bethany, across from Jericho, is where John is, okay? Now, what's significant about the Jordan River to God's people? Well, you know, in Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers, and in, in Joshua, it, it, the Jordan River is what separated God's people from the promised land. And, and matter of fact, in, in, in Joshua chapter 3, they're camped. Guess where they're camped? Right around here. Same exact spot. Ready to enter the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 3, God tells his people, hey, you know what? It, it's time for you guys the break camp, and we're going to cross over the Jordan River. All the people get ready. The priests are holding the Ark of the Covenant, and they're walking, and it says, as soon as their feet touch the water, the Jordan that was at flood stage, it parts. And the spiritual truth there is sometimes the waters don't part till our feet get wet, right? Sometimes we wait for the water to part before we move, and God says, no, I want you to trust me and do what I'm calling you to do and once you do that, I'll part the waters for you. And so they stand in the middle of the Jordan River. People are crossing. They're holding the ark. And then God says, it's almost done. He says, hey, I want you to pick 12 guys, one from each tribe. And I want them to grab, each of them to grab a stone. To grab a stone from where the priests are standing with the ark of the covenant of God. Grab a stone and bring it to the west side and set up a memorial. So in the future, when their children ask them, what do these stones mean? Joshua 4, 7. Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When across the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. You know what? 
you and I, we do not set up enough memorial stones, right? You know, set up things that we can say, you know what? Here is a time when God showed up and God did something huge in my life when God parted the waters and brought me through something I never thought I could get through again. See, God's people, they didn't want to forget. Hey, you know what? God showed up here and parted these waters and we finally entered a promised land. We finally entered this land that God said he would give us. We finally entered this new life and this new way. Now, do you think it was intentional that John is in the wilderness at the Jordan River, at the exact spot where Joshua was, whose name, by the way, is a Hebrew name for Jesus, which means God is salvation. You think it might be intentional that John is standing right there when he's telling people, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Yeah, it was. And I guarantee you, those who heard John, they knew it. Because they've taken many family vacations through those stones. Hey, here's the memorial stones. You remember? Here's when God showed up and delivered us. And, and i got to be honest. Until this week, I, I always just say, well, he's at the Jordan River. All right. He's at the Jordan River. I never saw the connection, God's intentional connection of leading his people into the promised land. It is a connection here of leading us in to a new life, to the promised land that comes through Christ. Now, both Mark and Luke say something very significant about John's baptism. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. See, John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. Looking forward to the cross. And so John is at the Jordan River announcing the kingdom and thousands are leaving the neighboring towns and cities to be baptized. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, and listen, these religious guys were not there to be baptized. They're there to check out this latest threat to their power and position. He said to them, turn to your neighbor and say this. No, you brood of vipers. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 23. He added, you whitewashed tombs. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Understand, fruitless repentance, repentance without change of mind and will and allegiance is not biblical repentance. And do you think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our dad? Don't think you can count on your Jewish heritage. Well, my mom and dad were lifetime members at the synagogue. I got a perfect synagogue Bible study pin on my shirt. He said, don't you think, don't think that's going to get you in? I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. The tree is about to fall. In other words, those who do not repent and change their allegiance to Christ will be destroyed. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm unworthy to carry. John had a very realistic view of himself. You know, though people wanted to be the Messiah, maybe thought he was the Messiah, he says, you know what? No, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to carry the shoes of the one who's coming. He continues, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fork is in his hand. He'll clear his threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, 20 years of silence. This is a message, right? 
Uh, it, it wasn't a, uh, um, a seeker-friendly service, so to speak, right? It was the pure Word of God. And, and, and here, here's a picture there. You know, what you do, you throw the wheat and chaff together, right? The wind's blowing, and the chaff blows away, and the wheat falls to the ground. He's separating. He says, hey, you know what? He came to separate those who are going to surrender and those who are not. And here's the ultimate truth, the ultimate forever, everyone who's ever breathed on this planet. Some will be gathered into the barn and experience salvation. Others will be burned with unquenchable fire. In those days, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Let it be so now. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And we can just read over that. And not feel the power and emotion of this moment. Jesus, he's at home in Nazareth, where he's been for 28 years. I mean, have you ever wondered what it felt like to Jesus to wake up that morning? His final day in Nazareth, knowing it was time to leave. I mean, what was it like for Jesus when he hung up his apron and carpenter tools, when he walked out of his shop and shut the door for the very last time. What was it like for Jesus when he walked over to his mom, wiped the tears out of her eyes, and hugged her and said, Mom, I gotta go. He turned around, no doubt tears falling in his eyes, and heads down the road knowing where that road would end one day. And he came from that. See, we can just so read the Bible. Oh, yeah. Jesus left home. Okay. No, man. That was hard. Seeing his mom. Heartbroken. Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan. to be, But he did that for you because he loves you, right? Every step he took towards that cross, he did for you and for me. Amen? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. You know, he's worthy. Every song I ever say, I'm not worthy. Well, he says I'm worthy, right? I'll take his word for it because I don't feel worthy. I feel like I can't even carry the guy's shoes. I'm not worthy to be in his presence, but he allows us to. So John is preaching in the wilderness in Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance of sins, and countless people have come out and confessed their sins and were baptized. And then one day John looks up, and the next person standing in line is Jesus. And John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Now, we know from Luke that it was John's custom to kind of uh, examine the candidate before the baptism. And usually people came humbly, confessing their sins with deep contrition. However, Jesus made no such confession of guilt or shame or sorrow for sin. Now, such an attitude in and of itself would disqualify someone from being baptized, but there was something about Jesus... And John didn't know the full story yet. He would when the Holy Spirit came down. But there was something about Jesus that left no doubt in John's mind that what Jesus said was true. And John kept trying. It's the present tense. God, John kept trying to deter him. And then he consented. Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Why was Jesus baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. So how did Jesus and John fulfill all righteousness by being baptized? Now, I put this in your notes just so you would have it. 
to look on and reflect on. Okay, here, here's some things to keep in mind. I think we have it. Do we have it? Do we not have it? Would that be nay? Yay. Cool. Okay. Number one, John, John's baptism was a command given by God to his people. Thus, Jesus was demonstrating that he was submissive to the authority of God in his word. In other words, God told people they needed to do it, and Jesus submits to his authority, right? right? He responded in submission. He's demonstrating us the need to obey God's word. Amen? Number two, John's baptism was a divinely appointed method by which Jesus would be revealed to be God's son and would launch his ministry. Third, in John's baptism, Jesus is acting as the personification of Israel. He's representing all of Israel. And through his baptism, a new community is being created. In being baptized, Jesus provides a powerful picture of salvation. Romans 6, 3 through 5 says that when we're baptized, we're buried with Christ, that we contact his death, and we rise to live a new life. We're saved by what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus knew that imagery, right? I wonder if when he was put under the water and came back up, if any images of the soon coming cross flashed in his mind. In fifth and being baptized, Jesus modeled what would be central in our mission to make disciples, right? Matthew 28, where he says, go in all the world and make disciples. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Jesus, this is who you are. You're my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Now go and start your ministry. God the Father speaks, God the Spirit descends, and God the Son receives the approval of the Father and the sign of the Holy Spirit. And now, brothers and sisters, it, the redemption of mankind, the defeat of sin, death, and the grave, the unleashing of God's mercy and grace, the freeing of captives, good news for the poor, the peace that passes understanding, the inexpressible and glorious joy, a hope that is living and can never fade, spoil, or pass away. Now it begins. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, change your allegiance, for the kingdom of God has come. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And I say that's some good word. I don't care who you are. And now the all-important question. So what? So what? But like, and I struggle with this. I gotta be honest. And I, 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 I see that mess there? <laughs> like, gosh, what do I say? He starts his ministry. 400 years of silence has ended. What do I say? 
What should your response be? So my response be to repent, to change our allegiance, to change sides and be loyal to Jesus, to live our lives not motivated by the consequences of the do's or the don'ts, but of loyalty to Christ, our commander-in-chief. Like, why don't I do these things? Not because of this, but because I'm loyal to Jesus. Why do I do these things? Not because I like the good results, because I'm loyal to Jesus. You know, this morning, I decided to wear this shirt. I actually had some dry cleaning ready to go. But I said, I'm going to wear this shirt. Usually this is my lazy shirt to wear, you know. And, 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 but it, it was a way of me saying, you know, you know I, I've been in ministry for longer than a lot of people in this room have been born, right? You know, and, and 30 years and... And it gets hard. Let me be honest. Christian life gets hard too, right? So I'm not, oh, I have it so hard. No, I'm not saying that, but just hear me. It gets hard. And I put the shirt on there and say, you know what? The reason I'm going to keep doing this is not because of the people in this room. It's not because I'm going to get the results I want. I'm going to do this because I'm loyal to Jesus. That's why I do it. That's why I'm going to study the word. It's because I'm loyal to my king. He died for me. He died for me. This morning when I read John chapter 19 in our Bible reading, it's like, and, and Pilate sent him to be flogged. And I go, you know what? That needs to matter to me more. And I went on YouTube, I turned out the lights, and I watched the scourging of Jesus and the passion of the Christ until I wept. That's what he did for me. I want to be loyal to him. That's what I'm going to keep on going. That's what I'm going to keep trying to do the right thing. And not do the wrong things. I'm not going to do that because I'm loyal to Jesus. Yeah, I know it can mess up my life and cause the day of a concert, but the reason is because I'm loyal to my king. That's why. Do you need to repent? If you don't feel any need to repent at all, then you ain't been listening. (laughs) Are you loyal to your king? Let me tell you, talk about a loyalty being rewarded. Our king has already won the victory. Guys, I read the end of the book. He wins, and we win too. And we spend forever in a world without sin, pain, death, sorrow, disease, divorce, dysfunction, you name it. It's all gone, and it's just Jesus. We go in a world where we don't see the color of skin. We're not divided anymore. You know, that's our reward. We spend forever in his presence in this perfect world. Our loyalty will be rewarded. Our loyalty is worth it. And I'll just pray that you'll reflect on that. And if you're here today and John introduced in the New Testament and Acts confirms it that one of the initial steps that those who want to change sides and show their allegiance to Jesus, as we see when the gospel is preached for the first time, Peter says to those around the temple, who were convicted that, hey, the guy you killed happened to be God's son, which, by the way, is not a good thing. Killing God's son, wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and they said, what shall we do? You know what he said? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your baptism is not something to be debated. 
It's a gift to Jesus, an opportunity to be obeyed, right? Jesus did it. We do it out of obedience to him. Like I said, I, I grabbed a bunch of stuff from my house. You know, you know, if you have not made that decision, you need to think more about it. You know, I, I made a 16-minute video that you can watch that answers a lot of the questions and explains it, right? But Maple Grove, let's repent and change our allegiance. Amen? Would you stand with me? Father God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, we don't get it. We don't understand, but we see the power of that moment, the Jordan River, the power of Jesus leaving home with his mom crying on the doorstep, uh, the power of, of Jesus standing in that river, the power of John baptizing him, the powerful message coming out from John, the heavens ripping open and God saying, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Father God, I just pray that each of us will examine our own lives and make sure that what we do or don't do is for no other reason that we're loyal to you because you have been more than loyal to us. And God, we thank you that we do not have to be on this journey on our own. And God, I love the song we're about to sing as we prepare for communion. The fact, God, that Lord, I, we need you. Amen.